Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code, POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hello. Happy we got an hour back day. Yes. Happy fallback daylight savings time day. Where we get the sunshine for one more week. (laughs) Yep. Before (laughs) eternal darkness. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. Doesn't matter in Minnesota. No. Nope. But, no, but I'll not. take that extra hour of sunlight for the next week. Yeah. Did you hear it's supposed to snow on Wednesday? I'm surprised it's so late. I know. I'm surprised it was so nice this weekend. It always snows on Halloween. It always snows on Halloween. So when it didn't snow on Halloween, I was like, global warming is real, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, Leo was right. <laughs> somewhere yeah. leonardo dicaprio was like i called it right i called it i knew there was gonna be no snow in minnesota so i need to open the corrections cubby Mm-mm. i kind of figured what that last episode but it's not for what you think okay uh-oh oh no i shouldn't be allowed to adult so so i go through all this spanish Mm-hmm. And it's fine. I mispronounced the method of torture and punishment. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's Garrot, not Garrett. Not Garrett the person. So, because so I was I was explaining it to Thomas. Garrotting? Yeah, you're you're Garrotting. Not Garrotting. Correct. And that's hard for Midwesterners to Because <laughs> that's not what it looks like when you're looking at the word. So just like jail. Yeah, just like Good old, good old gowl. I was telling Thomas about it, and he's like, what did you say? 
And he's like, Garrot? And I was like, oh, fuck. So I'm sure anyone who like actually knew what the hell I was I was supposed to be talking about was, was like screaming in their vehicles or mm-hmm. wherever they were in their coffee shop. Like, you were so stupid. <laughs> so I apologize if I made you burst a blood vessel. I'm sorry. Now I know. And now I will remember because it's really hard to say for me for some reason. That's fair. Speaking of Garrett, this week's topic is not going to be a fun one. Oh, no. <laughs> Does it involve cannibals? No, there's no there's no cannibalism in this week's okay. episode. Okay, I can tell cool. you that much. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks. So I decided for our 75th episode that it would be, yeah, 75. Oh, my God. I just realized. <laughs> you said it and i was like i looked right up and it says episode 75 holy smokes yep why are you guys still here (laughs) i feel like you all need a medal (laughs) i can't mail you all one just so you know but you can have an imaginary medal from our hearts to yours can buy yourself a candy bar treat yourself Get yourself a hundred grand <laughs> at the Dollar Tree. There's people, a four pack. <laughs> in other countries are like, what is that? Right. I don't know what that is. So this week, we're going to be talking about how women were punished throughout history. Oh, no. Yep. I'm saving the really bad ones for last. Of course you are. Well, if I started with the really bad ones and no one would listen... <laughs> I know you guys. I would just like mine them in. So it's like, nice, nice, landmine, super dark, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I thought about it and then I was like, that's a lot of work. So I that's didn't do it. Fair. I bet you they they probably had like... There was a progression. Yeah. Ugh, gross. All right. So information was pulled from the following sources. 2021 Britannica article by Jeffrey Abbott. 2021 Ranker article by Katia Clayman. 2021 The Indianess article by Sumera Rashid. I hope I said your name right. 2018 History Collection article by Patrick Lynch. A 2017 BuzzFeed article by Becky Barnicote. Barnicote? Barnicote? Either way, it's a cool last name. Yeah. 2015 The Week article by Kelly Marshall. An 1899 edition of Bygone Punishments by William Andrews, which I did actually go through. I skimmed it. I didn't read the whole thing, but I yeah. Did go through all of it. A BBC bite-sized article, a medium article by Muhammad Sakawat, and Wikipedia. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. If you want to make sure that I grabbed all the nitty-gritty. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Thanks. I think we can all agree that women were treated pretty poorly throughout history. And if you don't think women were treated like subhumans... Then listen up, because today we're going to go over all the punishments that women could or would be subjected to to prove you wrong. (laughs) Here are all the reasons why you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, reason one. This is something I've been wanting to cover for a while, but some of these will be pretty bad. And if you don't want to listen to them, I totally understand. I will be giving trigger warnings at the points where it gets really bad, just so you have a heads up. I have to stay here. (laughs) I don't Um, get to fast forward. Pray for me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad I'm drinking just water and no food yet. I can't get sick. 
this episode will make you mad and probably a little sad. And if you don't feel either of those things by the end of this, then I think something is probably fundamentally wrong with you as a person. And you should probably take care of that. Shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) Women have always been held to a double standard throughout history. We had a specific role to play. And if we did anything to attempt to surpass our second class status, we would be punished for it, sometimes fatally. During the Middle Ages, if a woman committed a crime that a man would, such as murder, her punishment would be twice as severe as that of her male counterparts due to the fact that they were acting above their station. Oh, that was the reason? Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Ah. Women were meant to serve men, both literally and sexually, and if caught committing an offense, even a minor one, would result in cruel punishments that are not only shocking, but horrifying. Awesome. So why were women punished so severely? To some extent, it was to break the women's spirits, to keep them submissive and subservient. The bulk of the methods devised to punish women were typically designed with the intention of humiliating the woman. Which is a severe punishment for emotional beings in general. So it was meant to also not just be physical punishment, but psychological punishment as well. Yeah, because that would sit with you and your community long after. Mm -hmm. So throughout history, women were forced to endure a number of injustices, such as bride kidnapping, which is marriage by abduction or capture. Still happening today in some countries. Yep, which was common in countries such as China, Japan, and Ireland. It's not clear if this practice was done to avoid paying the bride price or the dowry or done with the father's permission so the woman couldn't give her consent. Probably a mix of a mixed bag, I would assume. Probably. Or the barbaric Indian practice of sati, where a widow threw herself on her husband's funeral pyre rather than live without him. Burning alive. It's not like women haven't been subjected to that before. Yep. Okay. So to start... Public shaming, such as what Cersei Lannister experienced in Game of Thrones when she was forced to parade naked through town, was more common than you might think. Mm -hmm. And one of the more lenient punishments placed against women. This walk of shame, which was also known as Skimmington, was dealt out to women accused of being a harlot or any women who were considered a termagant or an overbearing wife. Ah, so you were a whore if you were overbearing. Well, if... You, you experienced if you were a whore or if you were overbearing. No, but that's kind of what they're, they're like making you parade around naked for being stern. Yeah. And asking for things. <laughs> you weren't always naked, but oh. I, I imagine if you were a harlot, you were probably paraded around naked. Probably to make it worse. But <laughs> joke's on you. That brings more business. <laughs> yep. That's just free advertising. During this walk of shame, the woman would be made to walk barefoot throughout town, sometimes in only their petticoat, although some indeed walked naked through the streets. At this time in history, the streets would be covered in sharp, rough stones, not to mention covered in other filth like horse shit and the like. Mm -hmm. Crowds would line the streets, laughing and pointing, while some minstrels would even take up pots and pans and play rough music which was another name for this practice, and follow the humiliated woman through town as if she was part of a parade. Awesome. That's fun. Minstrels are so fun. Yep. 
Usually this punishment was dealt out by the courts, but sometimes the townspeople would dole out the punishment themselves by dragging the woman out of her bed at night, and then would parade her throughout town screaming out that she's a whore. Wow. So instead of like the shame bell thing, it'd just be like whore. It's the world's worst surprise party ever. Yep. Stoning or lapidation, is perhaps the oldest form of punishment and execution invented by man. The act of stoning is quite simple. You throw stones at someone's head until they die, essentially. But over the years, the practice was refined, as it tends to be. Mm -hmm. To prepare for a stoning, a deep, narrow hole would be dug before the bound woman would be placed into it, so only her head was exposed. Really? Yep, so she couldn't get away. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought it was always depicted because it's always depicted in the movies as them being like in a corner. Yep, or like tied to something. That's how it started. Yeah. Okay, but they were like, people have terrible aim. Yep. Awesome. Let's make it easier. Great. Kind of like the whole shooting fish in a barrel type of thing. Mm-hmm. So she'd be placed in this hole until only her head was exposed. At that point, a crowd of executioners, aka men, would pelt her with rocks until she died. That's awful. Women who ran brothels, or even sex workers, could find themselves branded with hot irons, which was a popular practice in the 16th century. One woman, named Lady Lowe, was branded on both cheeks by a hangman after she was found guilty of running a brothel in Aberdeen, Ireland. She was forced to wear a paper crown as she was banished and told that if she dared to return, they'd throw her in a sack and drown her. Fun. Yep. Just another, just a regular Tuesday. Yeah. Meanwhile, that that pro- that woman probably brought more like good business <laughs> to yeah. that town than anything else. Their um, economy suffered afterwards. Yeah. Next up is the scold's bridle, which is a mask that would go over the head and lock at the base of the skull. Although at first glance, it seems like it's not that bad. Don't let the name fool you. Mm-hmm. Also known as the witch's bridle, this iron muzzle was developed specifically to punish women who liked to gossip, nag, swear, or talk back. Designed to stop talkative women from spreading rumors, the device would cut her tongue if she tried to move it thanks to a spike that was attached to the bridle bit, or curb plate. Jesus. At that time, a scold was a woman that was accused of gossiping, and gossip was believed to be the work of the devil. Mm. As with the practice of skimmington, The same could be done for a scold, where the woman would ride a horse or donkey backwards as she was paraded through town. The woman was sat facing the wrong way as a symbol of her transgression against traditional gender roles. Ah, clever. I know, they're so clever. Husbands could go to the church or the government to request help controlling their wives, at which Mm. point the women would be ordered to wear a face bridle. Not only that, but the woman would then be led around by a chain or a rope attached to the collar by her husband everywhere he went. It wasn't uncommon for the husband to ask people to spit on her face while he paraded her around to teach her a lesson. And people were worried that chivalry is dead now? Yep. If he needed to leave her at home, she might be chained next to the fireplace until she learned her lesson. Like a dog. Yep. Got it. The first recorded use of this device dates back to Scotland in 1567, and it was commonly used in England and Ireland. 
One of the last documented uses of this device took place in 1856 in Lancashire, England. 1856. Yep. Jesus. The scold bridle was used as punishment not only in Europe, but was also used on slaves in Virginia in America and also used up until the 19th century as punishment in workhouses in England. Great. Can't work if you keep talking too much. Nope. Even though it's not nearly as bad as some of the others we'll be covering today, the fact that the women weren't allowed to leave the sides of their husbands the entire time they were wearing the bridle shows you just how psychologically damaging this practice really was. Mm-hmm. If you were a woman in the Middle Ages who dared to show anger in public, argued, or were just considered unruly, you'd probably soon find yourself in the shrew's fiddle. Shrew's fiddle, that sounds fun. This device of choice by countries such as Denmark, Austria, and Germany looked like a fiddle and was often nicknamed the neck violin. Oh, no. Consisting of three holes, the largest one would go around the neck, while the other two would go around the wrists, which were placed one in front of the other in front of the face. So kind of picture someone in a boxing stance with both their hands up, but confined in a wooden contraption that looks like a violin. Okay. If a woman had done something particularly bad, she could be marched through the streets while wearing the shrew's fiddle with a bell attached to the end of it, announcing her trek through town. Mm -hmm. If two women were caught fighting with one another, they could be sentenced to a spell in a double fiddle, which would make the pair face one another in confinement, where they were forced to stay until they resolved their disagreement, at which point they could go free. Oh, and the practice of scolding? It was still a legal crime until it was eventually removed from both Welsh and English law in 1967. I'm not surprised. There's still some really messed up laws that exist in a lot of our states, too, that yep. like nobody really knows about. Yep. During the Roman Empire, women could find themselves confined to the virgin chamber. Yeah. The victim would be sacked or placed into a bag and enclosed in a chamber that had no exits. The gate of the chamber had iron nails attached that would enter the woman's body when the gate was closed, like an iron maiden. Oh, God. A small space was available for a spear to be inserted while interrogating the woman if she wasn't giving them the answers they wanted. Afterwards, she'd be left inside the chamber to die of starvation and dehydration. And the crime that warranted this punishment was breaking their chastity vows. Awesome. Which they might not have broken Yep. if uh, they were attacked. Yep. Great. Along with this is the punishment that befell any of the Vestal Virgins if they broke their vow of chastity. Girls between 6 and 10 would be handpicked by the high priest of the Temple of Vesta to remain virgins and work at the temple. And only after serving 30 years of chastity could they get married if they chose, though many didn't because they thought it was bad luck. Mm-hmm. Their job was to ensure that the fire never went out at the temple, and they were highly revered in Roman society. So it was like a, an extreme honor to be yeah. to be a Vestal Virgin and to be chosen to take part in these 30 years of chastity. Got it. If any of the women broke their 30-year vow, they would be severely beaten before being buried alive. Sounds about right, honestly. And in some extreme instances the woman would have molten lead poured down their throats. Wow. I hope that was a very fast death. Yep. 
Have you ever heard of a Republican marriage? Um, probably not in the way that you're going to explain. <laughs> I hadn't heard of this until I started my research. This method of torture, essentially, was typically used against priests and nuns during the French Revolution under the orders of Jean-Baptiste Carrier. A Republican marriage was when a nun and a priest would be stripped naked, tied together, and then thrown in a river to drown. Oh, because they were romantically linked. No, because of their religion. Oh. This was during the French Revolution. So a Republican marriage is is more like the Republic. Yes. Got it. However, if there was no convenient body of water nearby, the crowd doling out the torture would instead kill the pair by running them through with swords. Awesome. Yep. During the time of the Zhao dynasty in China, which was from... 1046 to 256 BCE, our next form of torture would be performed on any woman who refused to obey her master, which I'm assuming was her husband. Mm -hmm. Unless they were a servant, then of course that would actually mean their master. Yeah. Known as hand clamps, those unlucky enough to be punished would have their fingers put inside specialized tools designed to squeeze the fingertips until the pain caused them to faint at which point they'd be revived by having ice water thrown on them. Awesome. The process was repeated until the victim collapsed after losing all their strength. Hand clamps were eventually abandoned as a form of torture during the Qing dynasty in the 19th century, so from 1644 to 1912. This form of torture lasted for hundreds of years before it was adopted by Europeans. Of course. That sounds fun. Let's let's do that too. Yep. Who perfected the device by designing them in all shapes and sizes to ensure that the women in question would think twice before disrespecting the men in their lives. Heaven forbid. Yep. The cucking stool, also known as the scolding stool or stool of repentance, was a common punishment for men and women. Okay. But was exceedingly popular for women who were accused of being harlots or scolds. Again, women mm. who talk too much. Yep. The woman would be strapped to a wooden chair that didn't have a seat. So like think of a medieval version of a porta potty. Okay. And be forced to either sit outside their own house strapped to it, or they would be paraded around town. As one does. Along with this is, of course, the ducking stool, which was commonly used during witch trials, where a wooden or iron armchair was attached to a long wooden beam mounted to a seesaw. The woman would be strapped into the chair, which was located by a pond or river, and be lowered into the water. The woman would be dunked however many times it was needed in order for her punishment to be completed, but in many cases, the women died from shock or they drowned. Yeah, that makes sense. A fun little poem about the ducking stool was written in 1780 by Benjamin West. Why not? Why not just poke fun at yep. this? And it goes as follows. Mm-hmm. Quote, if jarring females kindle strife, give language foul or lug the coif, if noisy dames should once begin to drive the house with horrid din, away you cry, you'll grace the stool. We'll teach you how your tongue to rule. End quote. Yep. 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 The practice of ducking or witch dipping, as it was also known during the witch trials, took place from as early as the time of the Anglo-Saxons, which was 410 to 1066 CE, all the way up to the 17th century. This punishment wasn't just for witches, however. 
It was also used to punish a woman found guilty of committing theft, and the act of drowning was considered a basic punishment and method of execution. Yeah, you know. As you do. It's just level one. Yep. We're all familiar with the concept of the stocks, where men would have their heads and hands locked inside a wooden plank. There aren't many incidents of women being put in the stocks, like specific examples that I could find. Mm -hmm. But one is that of two women in Stockport, who on August 9th, 1822, were incarcerated in the stocks for three hours, one for being drunk and the other for committing a gross and deliberate scandal. And I couldn't (gasps) figure out what that was. Interesting. I'm assuming something lewd. Probably. A thoo was a pillory, like a stock. But instead, in this instance, they're forced to stand on a platform Okay. that was designed with women in mind. Aw, thanks, guys. I know. It's like Bic for women. <sighs> Only worse. Like the Bic pens. <laughs> yeah. Bic for her. The offender would be chained by her neck to a post as punishment, but her hands wouldn't be confined like men would if they were thrown in the traditional stock. Okay. Women would be punished this way if they annoyed their neighbors by talking too much or if they got caught having, I put set, but it's sex outside of marriage. Not set outside of marriage. (laughs) They were just set outside of marriage. The use of pillories was abolished by an act of parliament in the UK in 1837. Well, thank God for that. I know. Jugs were used in medieval Scotland and consisted of a hinged iron collar that would be chained to a wall or a post. This form of punishment was used for men and women, such as in 1649 in Wigton, when a servant raised her hand against her mistress and was ordered to stand for an hour with one about her neck. A woman named Bessie Black was found guilty of, quote, leaving the path of virtue, end quote, for the third time, and as a result was forced to spend six Sabbaths in jugs at the cross. So they would have this like public cross that had these chains and collars attached to them. That, you know, just as God intended. Yep. Yeah. So you would have to, like, walk past these people as they were attached to this thing. All the time. Yep. This next one is fun. Uh-oh. In an article published in a May 1759 edition of the Aberdeen Journal, three women named Janet Shinney, Margaret Barak, and Mary Duncan were sentenced to a joint jugs for stealing a number of goods from merchants in town. Okay. Their punishment went as follows, quote, on Thursday, May 31st, 1759, at the Market Cross of Aberdeen, at 12 o'clock at noon, each was to be tied to a stake bareheaded for one hour by the executioner, with a rope about each of their necks and a paper on their breasts denoting their crime, Hmm. to be removed to prison and taken down again on Friday the 1st of June at 12 o'clock, and to stand an hour at the Market Cross in the manner above mentioned, and thereafter to be transported through the whole streets of the town in the cart, bareheaded, for the you know greater humiliation, mm-hmm. with the executioner and tuck of drum, and to be banished the burr and liberties in all time coming, end quote. So they were forced to stand outside with these jugs about their necks in like the market square for like two days. Mm -hmm. And then they were banished from town. But during their banishment, they were like taken via cart and like drums were played. So people like knew to look at them as they were being banished. Awesome. Don't miss out. Speaking of pillories, another fun contraption that women could be confined in was called the drunkard's cloak. Uh Uh-oh. 
It was typically used to punish men for being drunk, as you would assume by the name, Mm -hmm. or for committing theft. But women would also be placed inside it. Great. So what does it look like? Oh, no. I want you to close your eyes. And if you're driving, in which case, please don't. Right. And picture a giant barrel. Now picture it like a butter churn where the woman's head would be enclosed about the neck at the top. Mm-hmm. Her hands would be confined to two small holes at the front of the barrel. Mm-hmm. And her feet would be allowed to come out the bottom, like the world's heaviest mascot costume. Okay. Now you can open your eyes. So I just wanted you to like mentally picture this like giant barrel that she no, had to wear. I hate it so much. An example of a woman enduring this type of punishment came about because she'd be caught committing polygamy, which is very bold. Mm-hmm. And the heavy wooden vessel would be basically balanced on her shoulders as she was being paraded around town. Awesome. In Russia, if a woman was accused of committing adultery, she would be half buried with her other half exposed. So she would either die of starvation or exposure due to the climate. Yeah, that would make sense. So it's not uh, 70 degrees and sunny all the time in Russia. No. no. So I tried to have some of the less severe and sort of quirky ones at the beginning. Yeah. Because like I said, I don't want to start with the really bad ones. Yep. Now it's going to get worse. But now we're going to start progressing, but we're not yet at the really bad ones. Okay. Hangings were obviously a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. For everybody. For everyone. And women could be hung for a variety of offenses. Of course. But some were as benign as using forged money. Yep. I wonder if they knew that it was even forged. Yeah, probably not. Whippings were also a common punishment in the 17th century for things such as drunkenness or theft. Still happens in some countries. Yep. A statute was placed in 1791 that expressly forbade the whipping of female vagrants, which was the first real sign of reform on the flogging front. So you, but why? I don't know. Maybe they were just finally starting to realize there are other ways that they could punish people instead of just whipping them. Okay. Like, our our men are getting carpal tunnel. We need to change our ways. <laughs> His wrists hurt. This repetitive motion for men is cruel and unusual. and unusual. Beheadings are also something we're all too common with. So I yeah. won't go into too much detail, mm-hmm. just because this is one of the more common ways that women were executed throughout history. Yep. We also have methods such as pressing. Like in the case of a woman named Mary Andrews in 1721, who endured it for three days before finally confessing to her crimes on the fourth day. When they confessed, would they just finish the pressing? No, they would remove everything. And then I'm sure they were either tried or they were then like hung afterwards or something if they were guilty. Awesome. I think it was only in that one case that I'm aware of, of Giles Corey. Yeah. That was pressed to death in the witch trials, the Salem witch trials. I don't know if I've heard of anybody else, but I'm sure there were some. Yeah. So if you think that's bad, how about being boiled to death? No. God, that would be awful. That'd be slow. Mm Mm-hmm. That'd be very slow. In 1531, a maid was boiled to death in the marketplace at King's Lynn in Norfolk, England for poisoning her mistress. So she was publicly boiled to death. Wow. That mistress must have been very high up. Yeah, she must have been very important. Yeah. A woman named Margaret Davy suffered the same fate in Smithfield in 1542. 
But don't worry, this practice was repealed in 1547. Oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. This next punishment would be taken out against women who were accused of committing adultery, or if they were just sexually promiscuous. Hmm. So up through the Middle Ages, women could and would at times have their noses either mutilated or removed entirely to permanently disfigure their face. Ow. You know, I've actually, I've seen somebody who didn't have a nose before that was completely exposed. And I felt really bad for them because the amount, like the amount of times you could get sick Mm -hmm. just from that tissue Mm -hmm. exposing, being exposed to like pepper. (laughs) Oh, or dust or like, you know, so awful. And like, I'm sure the air quality was super great then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Awesome. Oh, that'd be painful. According to Nuts Oxford Code of 1018, which was an agreement that was made between the Danes and the English, it was stated that a woman who was accused of committing adultery was to have her nose and ears cut off as punishment for the crime, while any men who committed adultery only had to pay a fine. Yeah, you know, because boys be boys, right? Yep. (laughs) Other mutilations that were common was the practice of having one's eyes plucked out. No. As in the case of Alice Krithchek who in 1203 was accused of murdering another woman in Shropshire. Okay, do we know why? No. Damn. Of course we don't. No list of punishments of women would be complete without including the act of burning them alive. Ah, yes. This was par for the course for women accused of committing witchcraft in Scotland, but it was Mm -hmm. also a common punishment for any woman found guilty of committing treason or heresy. Additionally, a woman could find her clothes and limbs covered in tar. She would be forced to wear a tar-soaked bonnet before having a noose placed about her neck, and just before the barrel she stood upon was kicked out from under her, she would be set alight. So in case the hanging didn't kill her, if she was turned into a literal fireball, would, of course, ensure that she was dead. Yeah. You know, oddly enough, I had a conversation with my partner today about burning alive because there was a new story about somebody who was caught in a car fire. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know this, but he said that typically you die of shock first. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a mercy or not. Or smoke inhalation. He said it takes it takes way too long for enough smoke to be in your lungs, even if like you are on fire. Mm-hmm. Which surprised me, because I feel like smoke inhalation, like if somebody's in a fire, it's usually the first thing that makes them like pass out. But he's right. I suppose suppose it takes a while depending on how smoky it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if it's on your face, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Let's not, let's not try and find out, shall we? Yeah. Not every woman was hung and set alight. Some would be burned the quote unquote traditional way by being tied to a stake and surrounded by bundles of twigs before being set alight. Awesome. The act of burning women at the stake was extremely popular in England between the 15th and 18th centuries. In some cases, like I just mentioned, the women would pass out from smoke inhalation before dying from immolation. But those who didn't pass from inhaling the smoke would writhe in agony as their skin cracked and split before the fire would eat through the fat layer. And it wasn't until the the fire killed the nerves in the body that any sort of relief was had, but only because by that point they were so badly burnt that they could no longer feel pain. Ah, that would be awful. Yeah. And there's no guarantee of what would happen. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. 
All right. So now we are quickly entering into the severe torture territory. Okay. So you need to be prepared for things to get really bad really quickly. Mm. But I, (laughs) but I promise we are almost done. Okay. The iron chair was a device used during the middle ages on men and women alike, Mm -hmm. but women most often found themselves sitting on this terrifying piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. The woman would be strapped to a metal chair covered in sharp spikes mm-hmm. where they would be forced to sit until they eventually bled out. Great. To add insult to injury, executioners would use a special compartment that was underneath the chair. They would place kindling in this compartment and set it alight. So not only would the woman bleed out, but she would also be slowly Burn. roasted as she, as she died. Yeah, because the iron would be hot everywhere. Yep. Awesome. You've heard of the practice of being broken on the wheel, and that's exactly what would happen to women who found themselves strapped to Catherine's wheel, which was a large wagon wheel that would be covered in spikes. Okay. The victim would be strapped to the wheel with their backs to the spikes and then be bludgeoned to death. Jesus, what? Yep. Okay. The reason for the name is its association to St. Catherine of Alexandria around 305 BCE who was imprisoned and sentenced to die on a breaking wheel for being a devout Christian. And I'm sure now that she's a saint, she's super happy that there's a chair named after her. Yeah. A wheel. Yeah. Yeah. In like illustrations of her, like portraits that have been done about her, she's often depicted with a broken wheel, like a, like an actual like wagon wheel that has broken. Okay. Another trigger warning. Okay. This next punishment was designed specifically as a way to torture a woman who defied the rules of God. Okay. Known as the Judas Cradle, this method of torture was developed in the Middle Ages in Europe. Okay. Judas Cradle was a wooden device shaped like a pyramid, and the woman would be stripped naked before she'd be placed on top of the pyramid. Her Mm -hmm. hands and legs would be tied up so that the woman was unable to shift her weight causing all of it to fall onto the tip of the pyramid, which was mm-hmm. typically placed so it would enter the vagina or the anus. Of course. The woman would be left to suffer via this torture for the whole day in public mm-hmm. until they eventually died. Oh. oh, that'd be awful. Oh, my goodness. All right. We have four more. No. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's just a blanket trigger warning for the rest of these. Yeah. They just skip like 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. This next device was designed to punish sex offenders, unmarried mothers, and any woman who would perform an abortion on another woman. Okay. This special form of torture was called the breast ripper. Oh, my God. Designed to rip the breast clean from the body, this instrument was two large pointed prongs with claws that would sometimes be heated before they Mm -hmm. were placed on the breast to separate the tissue from the body. Okay. As you can imagine, not many survived the punishment, perishing from the pain and the blood loss. Mm -hmm. Those unlucky enough to survive would live a life of shame as the loss of one or both of their breasts would mark them forever as either an unwed mother or an adulteress. Wow. This device stopped being used during the Middle Ages. Thank Christ. (sighs) Now I need you to take a deep breath and mentally prepare yourself for the next one. (sighs) Okay. 
When you think of pears, you don't really think of them as something malicious. But during the Middle Ages, the pear of anguish was a punishment that women feared for good reason. Designed to punish women accused of committing adultery, performing witchcraft, or even suspected of being homosexual. Okay. This metal device had four petal-shaped segments that would be spread apart using a corkscrew lever. It would be inserted into the vagina. Yeah. And as the segments were opened, it would cut the genitals and internal organs, causing massive bleeding that would result in the woman's death. Yeah, I saw that coming the second you said the name of the shape. Yep. Other versions of this device were created and used against suspected homosexuals, and a third was modified to be forced into the mouth of people suspected of committing heresy. Wow. As it was expanded, it would eventually break the jaws of the accused. In sticking with the theme of mutilation and torture, Mm -hmm. some women in the Middle Ages who were accused of committing adultery, blasphemy, or witchcraft could find themselves literally being cut in half. Okay. The woman would be hung upside down with their legs spread apart before a two-person saw was used to cut their body in half. Mm. Because the blood would rush to the head, the unfortunate woman would likely be conscious for a good portion of the torture and execution before they finally died. Wow. (sighs) Last one? We have two more. Okay. We have one more really bad one. And this is the last one. Okay. Known as the sitting wooden horse or the Chevrolet, this contraption is one of the most evil things I have ever heard. This innocuous sounding device was one of the most brutal ways a woman could be punished. Mm-hmm. The woman would be stripped naked and tied mm-hmm. to an artificial horse, which had a penis-like structure mounted to the top of its back. Okay. This structure would be attached to a shaft studded with iron nails. Okay. The woman would be forced to sit on the artificial penis, which would be inserted into her vagina, where the nails would tear her apart from the inside out. Yeah. Mercifully, many of the women who were forced to endure this sadistic torture died almost instantly, while the unlucky few who managed to survive would live forever paralyzed. You're probably thinking to yourself, what crime do these women do to deserve dying this way? Yeah. If they happen to be caught committing adultery, or even something as simple as displeasing her husband in the bedroom. Another version of this device was known as the Spanish donkey and designed to slowly cut the woman in two via her genitals. Similar to the wooden horse, it was a giant wooden sawhorse that had a row of spikes placed upon the top and sides where the woman would be forced to sit. Mm -hmm. Weights would sometimes be added to the woman's feet in order to shove the wedge edge deeper until it eventually cut her organs. This form of torture was used throughout the Middle Ages during the Spanish Inquisition and a terrifyingly similar one was used on Confederate prisoners during the Civil War. Are you kidding? No. I had never heard that before. So the Northerners used this? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. That is awful. Yeah. So the last and unfortunately most common form of torture used against women that is still used today is the act of sexual assault itself. Mm-hmm. It's used as a way to get confessions from prisoners to torment the wives of men who were being fought against during times of war, not to mention as a way to physically and psychologically harm the victim. And I realized that this week's episode was really heavy towards the end, and for that I do apologize, but I think it's important that we recognize that people did these types of things to other people and thought it was okay to do it for hundreds of years. Yeah. 
Not only that, but some of these acts were committed in public in front of crowds of people as a macabre form of entertainment. And thankfully, we are done discussing the punishments doled out against women throughout history. I don't really ever want to talk about that again. Yep. (sighs) Yeah, I had a hard time with this one. It made me really sad. I felt really, really bad for women who had to endure these types of punishments. Mm -hmm. And it made me really angry and disappointed to think that people back then, and even now, were sadistic enough to think of these punishments in the first place. Right. And were allowed to create them and inflict them. Yeah. And that enough people were like, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. Mm -hmm. It's just awful. I'm Paige, the host of Reverie True Crime. I tell stories of helpless victims, vicious killers, predators watching their prey before they strike, survivors, petty crimes, people we think we know who do the unthinkable, and the dangers that lurk not only in the dead of night, but in plain sight and the light of day. Every once in a while, I'll also tell stories of the frightening paranormal, elusive cryptids, haunted locations, and conspiracies that may be silly or thought-provoking. You can listen to Reverie True Crime wherever you're listening to this podcast. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod. Facebook, Instagram, and even Tumblr at Reverie True Crime. Remember, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings at all times, and take care. So this week's podcast plug is the Oracle Network Podcast of the Month, which is Reverie True Crime. Okay. And this is run by our friend Paige, who's got... A delightful Southern drawl, which I think enhances the listening experience. And her episodes are really well researched. They're very Mm -hmm. interesting. And she does a good job doing a mix of recent and older cases. Not like as old as like ours are, but older. Older. Mm -hmm. And you actually may have heard her in a recent episode of Can You Crack the Cramp Word on our show. Nice. So I hope you'll give her show a listen and support her and all the other shows that are part of the Oracle Network. It's the best network. And we'll have a link to her show and a list of other shows in the Oracle Network in the show notes. Yay! And this week's listener question comes from our friend Gareth over at the Everyone Dies in Sunderland podcast. Hey, Gareth. How are you, Gareth? How's Scotland treating you? With his unlocked door. (laughs) With his unlocked door. Come on in. He wants to know, what's your third favorite animal? Oh, okay. I have to think of my first two favorite before I get yeah. on to the third. Yep. Do you know? It might be a tie between a moose and a llama. Yeah. Because my first favorite animal is a platypus, and my second favorite animal is a capybara. Yeah. So it might it, it's probably a tie between a llama and a moose, because I love both of those equally. So yeah, that's my answer. Mine's a pangolin. Oh, that's a good one, too. Mm-hmm. So what do your first They're, do? Uh, super basic dogs and cats. <laughs> As a blanket term. 
I just, I love all dogs. I love all cats. And then pangolin. Um, <laughs> I love how exotic you get for the third one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I was like, I could go like more intense. But if, if I were to ever choose, like, somewhere would be like, go choose an animal you love right now. It would be Willie. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, choose another one. It'd be Smooch. Sorry, Chief. And then <laughs> <laughs> the other dog. He's a step dog. <laughs> he is a step dog. But after I get a pangolin, Chief can come back. There you go. Chief gets enough love from his from his dad that he's okay. Yep. He's full of love. I know he didn't ask but for it, but I think bats are my fourth. Bats are a good one. They're very cute. They are very cute, especially when they eat fruit. Mm-hmm. They put a big old thing of banana in their mouth. All right. What is something good you'd like to share this week? I kind of like went out of my body for a little bit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) At one point I was cradling my chest. Yep. Good thing. I don't know. Well, I uh, am prepping for a work trip that I have to do. It's my first work trip with my new job and I'm very excited about it. And so I've been enjoying doing like the little preps of like Willie's getting groomed and I (laughs) have to look like a person. So I had to grab, (laughs) you know, like real people clothes because I haven't been in an office in almost three years and just kind of that coordination and and looking forward to it. Because I'm (laughs) airlines hate me. (laughs) I'm a diabetic with an insulin pump and a CGM. So I can't just like walk willy nilly through their system. And then I have an 85 pound golden retriever. So the thing I do look forward to, though, is they assume that I'm going to be like the worst person ever. As you walk up. Yeah. But I have everything. I'm probably like the easiest suitcase they will go through. Mm -hmm. And Willie is like such a gem that he always gets he gets so many compliments after the flight or during the flight Mm -hmm. because the flight attendants are usually pretty slow to warm up to him. I just remember the first time, the first time I ever flew with Willie, I went on a Spirit Airlines flight to California. And bless your heart. The flight attendant that came down, he was like, you know, I had my doubts about you guys. And he's like, and I apologize for that. And he goes, but that is by far the best behaved dog I have ever seen. And he was—he just sleeps. He doesn't really. Yeah. He lays down. He hangs out. He sleeps <laughs> during the flight. And then he wakes up kind of during the landing. And then yeah. I have to wake him up to get him to go. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he would wake up during the landing because it's, it's not always smooth. It's a little rough. But, you know, I, I would assume he'd be like more alert during it. Mm hmm. No, he like kind of lifts his head and he's like, are we dying? No. Okay. And then he lays back down for like a few more minutes. <laughs> are we good? Should I be concerned? Nope. All right. Yeah. No one's screaming. I think we're good. So I think, I think we'll be okay. And like, I've been checking. So I, I couldn't get a nicer seat on the way there because mm-hmm. it's super expensive on the way there and really cheap on the way back. Mm-hmm. But there's a seat between myself and the other person so far. I check every day to oh, be yeah. safe. Cause I'm like, if I need to move seats, because I mean, <laughs> he's an 85 pound dog. So we're gonna do our best to stay in our lane, but I yep. guarantee you Willie's limbs are gonna be peeking out <laughs> yeah. of our space. So yep. 
we'll see. But I'm excited to go on the trip. I'm nervous because, you know, Mm -hmm. type 1 diabetic. I am vaccinated with a booster, but this is my first time traveling Mm -hmm. post-pandemic. I mean, during the pandemic. (laughs) I don't know what era you call this. So we'll see. Awesome. What about you? What's your good thing? I wish you future safe travels. Thank you. We should be good. Yeah. The My Something Good, I got a two for this week. I normally can never think of anything. So this is a, this is good. <laughs> yeah. I came prepared. Nice. So the weather's been like a little bit nicer here in Minnesota. Like it's been... Unseasonably. Unseasonably warm, as we alluded to earlier. Like in the 50s in this past weekend, it's gotten up to like the mid 60s. Mm-hmm. So... When Thomas has been home this week, and he was home two days this week, he's been teaching me to use the one wheel. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about being on the one wheel? Terrified. I bet. I am very I- tense. Yeah. And the first day, I kind of went around, I went down our street, and then we were like two houses away from a cul-de-sac. So we okay. like rode down to the cul-de-sac and turned around and came back and went down to the park which is another like house past us mm-hmm. and then turned around. And the first day I did that holding on to Thomas's hand, you know, because yeah. obviously I was very like wobbly and not very steady. Mm-hmm. But then the following day we went on a ride down to the path and back. And I was able to very slowly ride without having to hold on to Thomas's hand. So he was able to ride his one wheel as well. Oh, nice. I mean, It was probably, I don't know how long it took. It's hard because for people that don't know what the hell I'm talking about, it is a skateboard that has a motorized wheel in the center of it. Mm -hmm. And it moves based off you kind of like shifting your weight forward. Yep. So it was a delicate balance getting used to the fact that the board itself is trained to stay flat, to stay like horizontal. Mm -hmm. And it's all about you shifting your weight forward forward a little bit and that determines how fast you are going to be moving forward yeah and thankfully i was riding the pint which for that one if you just push back with your back foot it stops fairly quickly instead of going backwards which is helpful for me because the Mm -hmm. xr i think is what it's called i'm sure thomas is gonna laugh at me (laughs) whatever the main one is you can go backwards So unless you like do a hard stop, you're not going to be able to stop. You're going to go backwards for a while. And that freaked me out. So I was like, I'm not going to ride this one until I'm comfortable enough with the other one. That's fair. And even still, I may never ride that one because I don't like it. (laughs) No. No. So that was that was good. Thomas would like me to try snowboarding this winter. So he's like, this is a good practice for getting used to like balancing balancing and kind of shifting your weight a little Mm -hmm. bit to learn how to move around and stuff. So I might try to get back out while the weather is still nice before obviously it's supposed to snow on Wednesday. Yeah. So we'll see if I can get back out or not. Well, good luck. Thanks. That's really exciting. I mean, we're not we're not a super sportsy family. <laughs> inclined family. So the fact that you can do it is it's great. Yeah. I surprised my children. I bet you did. They were like, wow, good job, mom. I was like, yep, I am so old. I'm so cool. I'm so cool. My purple hair. The coolest mom. 
Even my yeah. neighbor, I was I talked to her yesterday when I was walking Kona and she had seen me going down the street with Thomas. Yeah. And she was like, "Good for you." She's like, she's like, I was so proud of you, like getting on there and doing it. And she's like, and even though you were going at your own pace, she's like, you look good. You looked steady. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) It was a really nice, nice. it was a really nice compliment. (laughs) She's like, I could never do that. All right. That's awesome. Shall we? We shall. All right. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. You can also find us on YouTube. We have a P.O. box. I shared a fun postcard that our friend Kent sent us this week. Thanks, Kent. I know. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. If you would like to also send us some mail and be featured on our socials, you can do so at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can mm-hmm. also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com and submit questions or story ideas. You can send us gifts. We haven't asked for that in a while. so. Feel free to do that if you would like. Yeah. And a great way to support the show if you are like, I can't give you guys money. We get it. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods. Mm-hmm. And this week's review comes from the Malice Podcast. Oh, nice. And they say, if you love history, then this is the show for you. The hosts are funny and comfortable with each other. The research is impeccable. And I am always here for the weird and the cop. Keep it coming, ladies. Heart emoji, fist emoji, love and rage, Ariel. Aw, thanks, Ariel. If you are able and willing to support us financially, you can do so with a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. And I forgot to do it last week. But you can join our other great patrons like Aaron, Julene, and Kara. Hi. Thank you, ladies. If you're like, I want to buy some merch. We're not going to say no. And guess what? There is a sale every single week this month. Really? I missed it last week, but I noted it on social. So this week, there's you can get 35% off everything on our store November 10th through the 14th. That's awesome. The sooner you purchase stuff, the better if you want to get it in time for the holidays, if that's your intention. Yeah. Coming up. Yep. It'll be here before we know it. No. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.